Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I am so glad that you've joined me here today. As a licensed clinical mental health counselor, I know that this time of year is often very difficult for those who struggle with depression. This year in general has been a hard one, and so it was my honor to talk to somebody today on this episode who's walked the road herself and has hope to share. Diana Groover is my guest on today's episode, and she just wrote a new book that came out in November called Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. I've read this book for myself before I got to talk to her, and it was really, really encouraging. Because I think as we look back through history and hear about saints and people of strong faith who've lived before us, we often hear the highlights or maybe even some of the struggles that they had, but certainly not with mental health. Now, obviously, we can't look back in time and diagnose any of these people, but it's so good to hear their stories and know that if you struggle with depression, you're not alone. There are many that have walked before you and come out the other side. I so enjoyed this conversation. It was a really uplifting one, and I think that you will too. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Okay. Well, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So I live with my husband and daughter in Pennsylvania. Um, I have my master's in spiritual formation from Gordon uh, Carmel Theological Seminary. So that took us to New England for a few years. And now I work part-time as our writer and communications director for the Veer Institute. And I do writing on my own website and I'm a full-time mom. Yeah, that is a busy schedule, isn't it? You got a lot going on. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love, love your book, which we're going to talk about today, Companions in the Darkness. And before we really jump into what it's about, because it's pretty deep, can you kind of talk about how you knew writing was an invitation or a call on your life? Like, how did that become a thing for you? Hmm. I've always been a chronic journaler which especially writing a book like this one was really helpful to be able to go back and look through my own journals. And for the longest time, writing was just a way for me to process my own life. During college, I started writing some more stories and short, like short stories and essays, just trying to explore what it would look like to pursue writing. But at that point, becoming an author was just a dream. It wasn't something that I actually thought would pan out. Then after I graduated from seminary and we were trying to decide the the next right career move for me, I decided with my husband's encouragement that that was the right season to pursue writing. And so I started writing more seriously on my blog and submitting. And now several years later, here I am publishing my first book. That is exciting. So I'm just interested. I've, I just told you I've never written a book. So what is it like during a pandemic to write your first book and have it published and everything? What has that been like? Well, a lot of the writing and researching was done before the pandemic started. So it's it's been uh, fairly easy to keep up with the editing process throughout this because a lot of that would be long distance anyway. The book promotion stuff is interesting. I don't have much to compare it to because this is my first book, but a lot of the in-person things, so speaking or traveling aren't really available at this point. 
But thanks to technology like this, I can still talk to you and um, send articles places and things. So it's been an adventure, but like I said, I don't have much to compare it to. So <laughs> yeah. Well, after you write your second book, we'll talk again and then you can. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Side by side comparison. (laughs) Yeah. As a Christian counselor, I have read a lot about depression over the years and I've sat with a lot of clients who are in hard places and there's really not a lot of stuff written for Christians about depression until I would say the last few years it's starting to become a little bit more accepted to talk about it, to understand it, the self-care Part has been a little bit more accepted. So I'm, I love your book, Companions in the Darkness, because it looks at depression, not really in a clinical way, but definitely from a faith perspective. And you have a lot of clinical information too. And also from a history perspective. So before we dive into what your book's about, can you share a little bit about your own journey with depression and what led you to want to write about it? Sure. I think looking back now, I can see that it it was something that was slowly building. At the time, I would have said, well, I'm just kind of emotionally off or I'm kind of low or, or something like that. But it wasn't until my senior year of college that I really had a word for it and had a, a more of a, an official diagnosis for it. Um, so that was whenever I first saw a counselor and got on medication. And it got to the point where it was crippling enough that I needed to actually face it head on. Um, I had another episode when I was living abroad and it was a similar thing where I think because I had been through it just a, a year or two before that, I knew what was coming. So I was a little more proactive. Since then, I haven't had as deep of a season of depression, but it's still a part of my story and it's something I know I have a proclivity towards. And so especially in a season like this with the pandemic, that's just, it's been very difficult for a lot of us. It's something that I know even if it's not completely crippling me, it's something I know I need to be aware of and take care of myself. Yeah. Um, when you talked about being overseas and feeling it kind of coming on again, what were some of the signs that you felt? Um, I was crying more. I was really exhausted. Um, just the day-to-day life tasks felt a lot more overwhelming I I was living and working with a group of foster children and and one of the things that really tipped me off and and pushed me to to say no I need to try to figure out how to help myself in this uh unique situation was um I remember one of the kids said Miss Di you just seem so sad like your eyes look so sad and I could tell I was getting more irritable and my patience was running thin but especially the fact that this you know preteen noticed something in my eyes it was a, a good wake up moment for me that I, I wanted to be well because I wanted to be able to care for them well. And so that pushed me to start trying to seek the help that I could within that context. Mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, how does depression affect your faith? So I think one thing that separates depression from sadness is how pervasive depression is in the way that it affects our lives. It's not just an emotional feeling. It affects our motivation, the way we see the world, the way that we see ourselves. And so I think in that sense, it it shouldn't be a surprise to us that it affects our faith and affects the way that we perceive our spiritual life. I remember a counselor told me once, you know, if if depression makes you feel isolated and separated from people who are physically present with you that you can physically touch and, and audibly hear, 
why wouldn't you expect it to do the same thing with the Lord who you can't physically touch or audibly hear? And that was a helpful paradigm shift for me, because I think whenever you're in that place where, you know, you're in your a deep season of need and desperation, it can feel like maybe God has abandoned you there, or maybe if you just tried harder. But I think that the reality is that the depression just reaches its fingers into everything. And so some of those spiritual disciplines don't feel the same as they once did. And that sense of connection with God might not feel the same as it once did. And I think it was really important for me to realize that that was not a reflection on my lack of faith or my lack of discipline. It was just part of the territory. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that and I know I have to be careful with how I say this, because I think some people say things like this in a way that gets twisted to cause harm. But in my experience, depression solidified my faith and my hope in the gospel like nothing else has. And I think it was because I was so desperate and so needy, and I knew I could not pull myself together. And so I needed those promises to be true. I needed it to be true that I could come to God needy and find welcome and comfort. I needed to believe that there was hope that was bigger than my own pain and that that pain wouldn't be the end of the story. And so I didn't feel the the warm and fuzzies of that kind of hope, but it was this raw, desperate hope that in some ways carried me through that season spiritually. And I've continued to see the effects of that on my walk with the Lord since then. That is beautiful. Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I've noticed as a Christian counselor over the years that has come up many, many times. Like I'm just not hearing God like I used to hear him or I'm just not feeling him the same way. I'm not able to concentrate on scripture. And I have said much the same thing. I just think it's very hard to focus. It's very hard to concentrate. Your motivation is depleted. And even though we want to feel close to the Lord, I mean, it's hard to feel close to anybody during a season of depression. It's very isolating. Yeah. So that was that was a beautiful way to encapsulate that. Thank you. One of the beautiful things about some of the stories in this book is Okay, Mother Teresa said that her prayer life didn't feel the same. Charles Spurgeon said he didn't find comfort from the Bible in the same way. And by golly, if they can feel that, I can feel that too. That's right. Yes. So yeah, we hadn't jumped into that yet. So let's do that. So you found seven saints. Uh, Most of them are pretty well known. A couple of them, not as much, I think, who struggled with mental health issues, we think. Obviously, there was no DSM-5 back then, so (laughs) they were not diagnosed. But we can tell from their writings and some of the things that they said that they were really struggling. And you went through like many biographies for each one. And it was so encouraging for me to read through it. I love biographies. Anybody who listens to my podcast knows that. But it seems like when we think about heroes of the faith, we hear more about the highlights or maybe the struggles that happened to them, not the struggles that happened internally inside of them. So I love, love, love reading through some of this. What made you interested in learning more about these particular people? I've been joking. At first, maybe it was slightly selfishly motivated. I think walking through depression and feeling some of that that guilt or that um, internal conflict in, in its relation to my faith life hearing some of these stories while I was in seminary, it just really piqued my interest. And because I think you're right, I don't think we hear these sorts of stories very often. 
And I think not only we do, we do ourselves a disservice, but not telling those types of stories in and of itself communicates something, mm-hmm. right? If we say, well, we shouldn't talk about this part of this hero's life, it adds to that sense of shame or stigma that comes with something like depression. So when I first started hearing them, it just made me really curious and I wanted to know more and wanted to know more about what that experience was like for them. And then along the way, I realized that there was a sort of companionship and the solidarity of having a shared experience. And they had a lot of wisdom that I could learn from. And so that's what set me out on that journey and then eventually what led to the book. Do you want to just go ahead and say what the seven people are or share that? Yeah. So the earliest one is Martin Luther, who's the famous Protestant reformer. The next one is Hannah Allen, who is probably one of the more obscure ones in the book. We know about her from an autobiography that was published of her life. David Brainerd is next. He was a missionary to Native Americans in the U.S., And then after him is William Cooper, who was a poet and hymn writer and a good friend of John Newton. And then there is Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in Victorian era England. And then Mother Teresa, who I'm sure uh, I'd be shocked if anyone in your audience has not heard of her and her work. And the the most recent one is Martin Luther King Jr. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it till you just started saying it, but you started with Martin Luther and ended with Martin Luther King. That was yes. a good way to sandwich them. Yes. <laughs> good bookends. <laughs> yeah. Um, which of the seven saints that you wrote about did you most identify with or did you find most intriguing? I loved William Cooper. I, I, it's so hard to know what draws you to people. I, I think it's the same in, in real life with a person. There's just certain people that you connect with and are just really fascinated by. There's... It, I mean, obviously, it's a book about depression, and his story is very sad. But in spite of his depression and um, his attempts at suicide, he he had such a warmth to him and such a groundedness to him. He loved to garden. He had a, a whole variety of pets. He built himself a greenhouse at one point, and he would write his friends little poems as thank you notes. And so there's just such a a, a warmth to him that really drew me. I I found a volume of his letters and I just couldn't put it down. Finally, one of my friends said, Diana, you've been researching him enough. You need to just let him go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Um, I thought that I would like Mother Teresa the best. And I I thought I would connect with her because I love to help people. And, you know, she's just awesome. Um, and I actually found her, I don't know that I really connected that much with her story as much as I just kind of found her intriguing Interesting. because she's known as like this big warmth to the world. And internally, she wasn't necessarily feeling that according to her letters and people that were close to her. Yeah. So it was just kind of intriguing to hear her story from a different perspective than, you know, the media would have portrayed her. So yeah. who do you yeah. feel like you did connect with the most? This is always so interesting to me. Hmm. Well, I think I connected with pieces of all their stories. Depression has never been uh, a huge problem for me, but I definitely times of discouragement. I think this year I've connected with a lot of discouragement, exhaustion. I think there are a lot of people who can, who could relate to that, including many of my listeners. I'm sure just, this has been a hard year. Um, and then after having babies too, I'm sure I had many 
times of feeling exhausted and just not motivated at all. But um, I connect a little bit with Martin Luther. I just did a podcast about his wife and his anxiety was very, very high and very perfectionistic and wanting to be right with the Lord. And um, I don't struggle with that now, but as a teenager and a child, I remember really struggling with that, wanting things to be right. And um, yeah, so I connected with his story. I love Martin Luther King Jr. too. Like he's fantastic. And um, so I I connected with his story too. I love that. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to take this a different way for a second. Are you ready? You're not prepared for this, but I'm ready. I, okay. I saw on Twitter recently you asked about favorite songs that people like to listen to on their hard or dark days. Um, so I'm wondering, what's your favorite music to listen to on hard days? Mm. Yeah, you are putting me on the spot, aren't you? Ah! <laughs> no, it, de- it depends on the season. Um, I, I lately, so I'll just say what I've been listening to lately. Lately, I have been listening a lot to the Porter's Gate. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, It's a a musical collective. And they just recently put out two new albums, one that's called Justice Songs and one that's called Lament Psalms or Songs. Um, And there's a lot of really great tracks on that. The other group I've been listening to a lot lately is City Alight. Um, They're a church worship band in Australia and they have really beautiful music. My daughter is currently obsessed with one of their songs that they call the, she calls the hallelujah song. And it's about a celebration of the the resurrection and, and the joy that comes through that. And I think especially on days that are hard, that's a good uh, anchor of truth um, of the hope that we have through the resurrection. So that the musical list shifts during any given season, but those are, two of the groups that I've been turning to a lot lately. Yeah. Um, I didn't answer on Twitter, but I thought about it after I saw you do it. <laughs> after you said that. And um, I was thinking about how when I was younger, I really liked fast music with a really good beat. And I still do, honestly. Um, but I like folk music a little bit more now, which yeah. is really chill. I don't know how that shift changed, except that there's just noise in the rest of my life, maybe. Um, but I love Ellie Holcomb, and she writes a lot of music from scripture. And Red Sea Road, her album, has been really encouraging. I haven't listened to it as much recently, but when it first came out, I listened to it on repeat a lot, I think. So, yeah, yeah I thought that was a fun question that you asked. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I feel like you can trace some of the, the seasons that I've walked through based on the music that I listen to, like the most played music and the uh verses of scripture that I have written out and taped to my wall. Um, you could, you could write my, my spirit, my spiritual autobiography, just tracing those two things. Um, another one that comes to mind as we're talking about it is, uh, we will feast in the house of Zion. I'm oh, most yeah. familiar with the version by Sandra McCracken, but I can remember being in, in church, uh, our, our previous church used to sing that a lot and just standing there with tears in my eyes because, there's such a, a a defiance in that sort of hope that stands in the midst of something that's hard and says, "No, there will come a day where we will feast in the house of Zion, and we 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 won't weep anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's songs like that I think for me that I need during seasons of pain that just remind me of that um, audacious hope that we have um, because of our faith. 
Yeah. That word hope is a beautiful word. So at the beginning, you talked about living overseas for a period of time and working with foster kids. Can you tell the story of what you were doing over there, or how you got there, and then how you made it back to the U.S.? Yeah, so I was I was there for a year. I was in Central America, and I got connected oh. through a couple that I knew in the town that I grew up in. And um, I was working at a, a group foster home, so it was... Uh, around 30 kids at a time from newborns to 18 year olds, we had the gambit and I lived with and worked with them. I was part-time administrator, part-time house mom, um, just living, doing life with them. And it was a wonderful experience. I'm so thankful that I got to do that and spend time with those, those kiddos. They're still really precious to me. And because of something like Facebook, I can still stay in contact with some of oh, them. That's fun. Um, but after that year was up, uh, just I, I knew that I had reached the limit of what I could do um, for my own mental and spiritual health by my by myself. Um, obviously, I had teammates there, but I think I would have needed some other support networks in place to do that longer term. And by that point, I had decided that I wanted to go to seminary. And so I came back from there and moved to Massachusetts and started seminary. Wow. That's a huge move. It was a huge move. <laughs> Quite a transition. I mean, uh, I, you were saying before we started recording about, or no, when you're talking about the songs about the the noise in your house, my yeah. apartment attached to the main home. And so I went from hearing the pitter patter of feed and you know, teenagers yelling my name down the hallway, you know, different points of the day to my tiny studio apartment by myself with a very quiet hallway. And uh, that was quite a transition. I bet. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering as far as the depression goes, was that helpful in pulling you out or was that uh, a difficult transition as far as depression went? Going to seminary? Mm -hmm. Making a move that big. Yeah, I think by that point, I had stabilized enough that it was okay. I, I mean, I think any time during a transition like that, I, I know now that I need to be careful and be aware. And especially moving to a place where I didn't know anyone, I was throwing myself into intense study. Um, it was just a different territory. I think I recognized my own fragility in that. But Thankfully, it, it didn't cause a major relapse or anything like that. So speaking of taking care of yourself, for you right now during a pandemic, as a mom writing a book, what does soul care look like for you right now? You know, I'm really thankful that I have written and am releasing this book during the season because I think it helps keep a lot of this in front of me. I, I've learned so much from these people. So I feel like I'm in a season of trying to put their advice into practice. So uh, some of what that looks like is getting outside, um, whether that be going for a walk or gardening. Uh, my daughter is delighted to engage in both of those with me. So it's something I can do with her. Um, and, and just trying to slow down for moments of delight. I think having a toddler is helpful for me in that if I allow myself into that space of slowing down to her pace and seeing the world through her eyes and, and seeing the delight and fascination that she has in the world. It's, that's a good soul practice for me. And I think mm -hmm. it keeps me more in tune to 
Yeah, I think that slowing down keeps me more in tune to looking for where God is at work and and finding him in just the simple parts of the day and allowing those to be moments of just abiding prayer or praise or just enjoying the creation that he's given to us. Mm-hmm. Just off offhand, do you listen to the Stories Between Us podcast by Sean Smucker? You know, I'm familiar with it, but I've not listened oh, to it. Oh, okay. Okay. I wondered because... Um, it's all about creativity and writing. I enjoy listening to it. It's fun. It's him and his wife. They're both authors. They talk about stuff. But they've been talking about finding delight in this season. And so it's kind of been at the forefront. I've been thinking more about that. And so I just wondered when you brought that up. I think that's such an important practice as yeah. far as like how to keep hope in front of us, how to enjoy the everyday moments instead of waiting for things to pass. Yeah. So I love that. I, I read a quote once that said, the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's delight. Hmm. And that's one, speaking of ones that I have, you know, verses and quotes that I have posted, that was posted on my desk for a while. And so I think in a season like this, that, or, you know, different seasons in my life that have been difficult, thinking about the, what I need to safeguard myself against depression, to the extent that I'm able to, isn't trying to feel happiness but to look for and embrace delight where it can be found. And so I think that's helped train my vision and sometimes my priorities mm-hmm. in seasons like this one. Yeah, that's beautiful. I also love to ask all my guests if you have a favorite scripture passage in this season of life or just a life verse that you love. Two come to mind. The, the first one is that beautiful passage in Isaiah 61, which Jesus repeats at the beginning of his ministry. And it's the one that talks about how he's come to bring comfort to those who mourn and to bring beauty from ashes and gladness from mourning and uh, praise from a faint spirit. Um, That's stuck out to me for a while. I think it's really solidified itself for me during that season when I was abroad and I was living in working with these kiddos that had really hard stories and I wasn't my best self in that season either. And so again, that anchor of hope and a God who is intent and, and fixed on redeeming things that seem unredeemable, I think has been really helpful for me. Um, In relation to depression lately, I've been thinking a lot about a passage in Psalm 139 that I had never really thought of in terms of depression before. But he's the psalmist says, you know, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And he goes on to say, even if I say the the darkness will surround me, the darkness will hide me from you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about those moments where we're struggling or we're depressed and we wonder is is God here? Can God be here? Or can this somehow hide me from him? A verse like that thinking, of course he's there. It doesn't matter how high I go or how low I go or how dark this, this season becomes. He's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's helpful for anybody, whether they're going through depression, whether they're going through anxiety, any kind of big struggle. Or uh, I think of a lot of I know I work with eating disorders. We talked about that before. And one of the great visuals that always I use with people who are in recovery is um, it feels like walking up a hill of sand. Like 
you're halfway up, you think you're there. And then the minute you stop, your feet start sinking again. And so, but even in those times, knowing that the Lord is there, even when we're not feeling it, I think that that's beautiful hope to hold on to. Yeah. Diana, is there anything else that you wanted to share or anything I didn't ask you that you would want to talk about? I think I would just offer a word of encouragement to people who are struggling to know that they're not alone. There are so many of us who are struggling in this season. Um, There's no shame in that, and there's no shame in asking for help. Um, So if someone is struggling, please ask for help. Um, You know, talk to your doctor, find a counselor like Ginny, um, (laughs) you know, find somebody that can help you through the season. And on a related note, I think there's such power in being able to share our stories. And so if you have struggled, take the, take the time to maybe share a little bit of your story with somebody, because that might be a word of hope that they need to hear in the season. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think about authenticity and how in the church is so helpful. It's a big part of discipleship. It's being open and honest, not necessarily with all the ugly stuff that is not going to be helpful. But as far as offering hope on the other side, especially of the hard things that we've gone through, the Lord uses those things. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It was so good to have you. Yeah, it was, it's been fun being here with you. Thanks again, Diana, for being on today's podcast episode. It was a joy to connect with you and hear your story, and I appreciate what you're doing in the world to spread hope. Friends, if this podcast episode resonated with you, go check out her book, Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. It was released through InterVarsity Press. If some of the signs of depression resonated with you and you're recognizing them in yourself, please don't walk that journey alone. Reach out to safe people in your life, your friends, your family, your church, or find a licensed professional or doctor in your area with whom you can speak. Well, if something from today's podcast stood out to you, I would love to hear about it. You can write a comment under today's show notes or join the conversation on PRN's Facebook page. You can follow me on Facebook as well, or also on Instagram or Twitter at pauserenewnext, or you can always keep up with me on the website pauserenewnext.com. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, the podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.